0: Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'm Anxious AF. Welcome back to the podcast. We're going to start off this episode with a story I wrote a few months before COVID-19. I talk about how my therapist influenced my personal body image, ultimately leading me to walk away from the relationship and from therapy. With the pandemic taking a toll on my mental state and turning to food for comfort, I realized that therapy wasn't the issue. It was my therapist. I'm now seeing a new therapist, and I've joined an emotional eating support group, and I was debating whether to share this story because of where I'm at now, but I determined that my eight years with that therapist is still more important to share with the hopes that it can help someone doubting themselves and their own gut feelings. After the story, you'll hear my conversation with Sarah Stevens. She's a writer, public speaker, and creator of The Beautiful Project, a blog and podcast where women share stories about their journeys with their bodies. Sarah gave a TED Talk where she explores her relationship with her own body and the urge to take up as little space as possible. Her talk was bold, honest, and relatable, and I had to talk to her about that experience. I do spoil some of it in this interview, so you might want to watch it before listening to this. It's called Stripped, The Art of Being Seen. We also discuss diet culture, our relationships to fitness, and being offered speed by a doctor. We recorded this interview in March of 2020, right at the beginning of the lockdown. I hope you enjoy this episode. I was walking out of a therapy session, and my therapist stops me and says, You know what? You're in the normal range now. You can really tell. She was glowing when she said this, and I had no idea what she meant. I asked her to clarify, and she said, Well, you're losing so much weight now, so you're getting into a normal range, like healthier, you know what I mean? I'm just so happy for you. I said thanks and walked out, and then she just called out after me, You're getting skinny! I said thanks again and walked even faster. And what does that even mean? Normal range. She was just so happy when she said it, like she was giving me the compliment I've always wanted. And if she said that to me a year ago, I would have just leapt across the room in pure joy. But at that moment, it left an ugly taste in my mouth. I'm getting normal. I wasn't normal before. But coming from her mouth, I guess that makes sense. I've been seeing this particular therapist for the past eight years or so for my body image issues and for binge eating. I never went to therapy before, so I didn't know what to expect. Within the first year, she mentioned that I should get gastric bypass surgery. She said that it would save me all the heartache and punishment I've been giving myself by trying and failing to lose weight. I figured, hey, she's a therapist. If she thinks I should get it, I should look into all the options. I did a lot of research and came to the decision that gastric bypass or any sort of weight loss surgery was just not something I wanted to do. When I told her this, she told me that she actually got the surgery done herself. I never would have guessed. A few years later, I asked her why she got the surgery. She said she didn't want her kids to be ashamed of her. Huh that's why she pushed so hard for it. That's why her main advice for me was to just binge vegetables if I get the urge, or I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but you're making it harder on yourself to find someone being the weight you are. Think of it like, by losing weight, you're giving yourself more options or more people to choose from. If I mentioned at any point that I was dieting, she would ask me if I've weighed myself or she'd compliment my face being thinner, or ask me if I could notice the change. And she always had this big grin when she was saying this, like, I should be over the moon. She projected her shame of her own body onto me. She made me feel like my life wouldn't improve until I lost weight and that it would fix everything. I couldn't possibly be happy looking like this. So what's the point of staying with her if I can't even trust her? My body is acceptable. You know what? More than acceptable. It's fucking beautiful. I need to find someone that understands that and focuses on helping me not look to food for comfort and also not just come at it from a weight loss point of view. I've been in therapy for so long that I'm taking a break. I felt like I was chained to this routine for such a long time and that during a session I always had to find something to say or find a way to prove that I was improving every week. It's exhausting. I deserve to celebrate me and not have to think about the latest problematic thing my therapist said about my body. I keep saying this, but... I feel like I need to remind myself that my life is my own. No one else's. I'm the only one that's going to be with myself for the rest of my life. So if I don't want to diet, I'm not going to. If I don't want to exercise for a day, I don't have to. I just want to enjoy my life. And constantly feeling shame about the way I look has not moved me towards that goal. And that's my only mission now, to enjoy my life. I'm sad it took me this long, but better late than never. So... I just wanted to yeah. check in there. Um, so, I of course, yeah. I hope uh, the rest of the family's doing okay in this craziness. Head above water. Head above water. That's it. That's all I can do. I wanted to. I think like we spoke about. I just kind of wanted to start talking about, just sort of introducing yourself a bio of what you do.
1: I'm Sarah Stevens. I'm the founder of the beautiful project, which is a storytelling collective that invites women back to their bodies. That is the passion work that I do. My full-time work is I co-own a coaching and consulting business with my wife, where we um, do a lot of coaching and consulting for small businesses and startups, uh, some leadership development, strategic planning, those sorts of things. I'm also uh, a wife and a mom to three teenagers my background is in corporate health care. I worked in corporate healthcare care for a decade, left that in 2016, um, just made the decision. I really couldn't breathe anymore. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, the industry is so intense and it's such an impact on my physical well-being. Um, I just needed to make a different decision. So started the freelance work in 2016 and then founded the project. Um, in the beginning of 2018, it's still the thing that I'm moving toward doing full time: creating it, spreading the message, amplifying the mission. Uh, but any freelancer knows that that can be a—it's like putting together a puzzle, right? So you still have to pay your bills and eat and support your family, and then also figure out how to sort of live into that passion-driven world. So that's kind of the space I find myself in now.
0: You sent me your TED talk, which is called "Strip the Art of Being Seen," and. I was immediately Mm -hmm. taken by what you were talking about and you confront, you know, people's discomfort in seeing fat bodies and your discomfort in your own body. And for those who haven't seen the TED Talk, which I recommend, um, you also sort of stripped down by the end, a little spoiler, um, Yeah, (laughs) in in front of your audience. So I just really was was, uh, just so taken aback by your courage. And so I just kind of wanted to see you could talk about that experience and how you got to the place of, being able to tell your story.
1: Thank you for the um, good words there. And it was uh, how I got to the place of being able to tell my story really was an act of self-preservation ultimately. So I spent most of my life up until the last three years, either being obsessed with finding a way to shrink my body or Uh, in the seasons of my life where I was able to shrink it, it still wasn't enough. So even when I was smaller, the way I understood my body or saw my body never changed. So this constant obsession and compulsion to be different, to be better, to be smaller, um, that sort of came to a head for me a few years ago. I, like any good story, it kind of all came to a head in one story. I'd gone to a doctor's appointment where the physician had offered to prescribe me speed um, oh. in order. To, yeah. Like actual amphetamines. Now I am definitely categorized as quote morbidly obese. I have all sorts of things to say about that, but I'm also very physically active, super conscious about nutrition. I always have been, and I'd been doing work to start to heal my relationship with my body at this point when this experience happened And, uh, but I still was carrying with me a lifetime of believing I needed to be fixed, believing there was something about me that was broken that needed to be different. And that that thing was, I always needed to be thinner. I mean, I had lived with an active eating disorder when I was uh, in my teens and early twenties. So I'm sitting with this physician who says, you know, with the metabolic damage you've done to your body with all of these years of restrictive eating, which honestly was in response to the incessant call to be thinner with that metabolic damage and your thyroid disease, you'll never really be able to take off this weight without serious caloric restriction. So let's use speed to get there. And it was like this awakening moment for me where I was, I realized that if the path I was on was putting me in this, in this doctor's office where my two solutions were, uh, Well, my one solution was to take a drug that she admitted would require quarterly kidney and liver function tests because they would damage my kidneys and my liver. If that was the solution we were looking at, I wanted off that path. I was just done. In that moment, I knew I was done. So just because I was done didn't mean I knew what to do next, right? So I have 37 years at that point of training in one direction, which is, Always be obsessed with dieting, with being smaller, with with um, compensatory exercise to make up for what you ate. Just the whole obsession that is diet culture. And I started to lean into resources like intuitive eating and health at every size. These are movements that really started from books. There are tons of resources online, so I was doing that work to heal my sort of the intellectual component, like how do I behave differently in the world. But it didn't change the way that I related to my body. Emotionally, or or even just relationally, so um, I started to do that work of learning how to tell a different story. But it had to start with me in the mirror with myself, and so I talk about that in the TED Talk. What steps I took, really, to desensitize myself to my own image, uh, and I think that that's critical. I think so many women, I watch women do it all the time. We're constantly looking at ourselves. But we glance and then we look away, right? We look away quickly because there's judgment. And I learned how to stay with my own image long enough to know what I look like and to lay hands on the places in my body that I've hated my entire life and just start to learn how to treat myself like somebody I actually loved. But that was long work. And I came to the place where I realized how freeing it was. And I wanted to share that story, which brought me to the TED Talk. Now, you've... Dropped the spoiler alert of the fact that I take off my dress at the end of it, um, which was in its own way another experience of healing. It was this moment of, I talk about it, the line I have in the TED Talk is, I've chosen to take my power back. I used to be afraid of what you would see when you looked at me, but I've taken the power back by choosing to let you see all of me. Because that was what the fear was all of these years, all of the covering up and shrinking and all of those things. It was just fear about what people would think when they saw me. And if I choose to let you see me, um, then there's no surprise in that. And so, yeah, that the talk was intense. The preparation for it was intense. The day of was, uh, I don't really have words for facing myself that way, really. Um, but I can also tell you that the freedom I have on the other side of that fear is unlike anything I've ever known. I, I, I feel sincerely freed from the obsession about what people will think when they see my fat body. And I use fat as a descriptor. It's a descriptor of tissue. It has literally nothing to do with anything else. Um, So I got a ton of freedom from it, but it was, it was a process that required some desperate and intense healing, but I really did it just for myself to heal myself.
0: So when you went up there, you, when you, what were people's reactions to you, do, like, you know, stripping mm. down and, and as you were talking about that pain you were experiencing, what was the reaction in the room?
1: So I was the last talk before intermission and they did that. They had set that up intentionally, um, because they wanted the organizers were like, we want people to have space to talk about this when it's done, which I was like, okay, so it is, it, it is making the impact I want it to make. Right. So Um, the reaction in the room, so I, the end of the talk, I, all I have on is a bra and underwear and it's a Ted talk. So (laughs) it's me in front of an audience and I stood there for a second and it was silence. It felt like seconds of silence. It, to me, it felt like 15 seconds of silence. And I also, right before the talk realized I hadn't come up with a plan to get my clothes off the stage. Um, because while I may have taken my dress off on stage, I still had limits. And I was like, I do not want to bend over and pick up this dress. Right. So, uh, at the last second we had put together this plan about who was going to scoop up my clothes, but I stood there for a second, waiting for any reaction at all. And all I had was silence. And so I just kind of started to walk off to the side and it was, um, it it was a it, pretty instant standing ovation as I started to take leave of the stage. And as I, I had to walk out of the auditorium, I had women in the aisle. Like, I, There's one woman I'll never forget her. She's just sobbing and she wants to hug me and I have no clothes on. So that's a little strange. But um, the reaction was beautiful and supportive and And so I had a guy stop me on the way out and say, I know that was mostly about what it's like for a woman, but I want you to know that everything about what you just said about how we hide all of these things about ourselves that we don't want other people to know, I can completely relate to that. And the idea that being seen and just taking the power back and going, this is who I am. I'm done hiding uh, he stopped me and had just shared how profound that was for me. But there's one particular story I actually do really want to share. And it was, there's a gentleman in the front row of the audience. So when you watch the TED talk, you can see him. When I came out on stage, I open up by saying, when was the last time you laid eyes on a naked fat body? And as soon as I used the word fat, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty intuitive person. This guy's body language just shifted and Uh, In a very uncomfortable way. He was a very thin, very tall, very thin man, Um, which for a woman in a fat body, being in front of a very tall, very thin man, it's a very easy, it's very easy for me to feel uncomfortable in that space because I've gotten judgment from tall, thin men most of my life. So I feel this guy shift uncomfortably. He's literally directly in the front row. And his discomfort continues to grow as the talk goes on. I flashed some photos from the Adipositivity Project, which is an extraordinary photography project that everybody should check out. And it's, it's women and large bodies. And so I'm flashing those and he's still shifting uncomfortably. He gets so uncomfortable at some point that he laughs at something that's not funny. I mean, mm-hmm. audibly laughs. Well. And so... As I'm, I, now I'm in one track, I'm delivering this talk. In the other track, I'm thinking, I'm going to take my clothes off in front of this guy. And the thing I had promised myself prior to this talk, if you listen to it, it's set up so that I don't have to take my clothes off. I could have actually chosen to keep my dress on and it still would have delivered, right? And I, that was an act of safety. I needed to make sure I knew I was safe. So I'm making this decision really as I'm giving this talk and I'm watching him and I'm like, can I do this? And I just had this moment right before I took the dress off that I was like, not only can I, I owe it to myself to know that I don't need his approval to be safe. I am safe here because I have chosen to take my power back. And so those last few lines of the talk, I'm actually taking intentional steps toward this guy. So the talk ends. I go outside for intermission because I need a second to catch my breath. I come back in. This gentleman is standing like he was waiting for me, and he starts to walk toward me, and I'm now I'm feeling very guarded, right? Because you can do a thing in the moment. There's the adrenaline, and then the adrenaline wears off, and, and now I feel pretty tender, pretty fragile. So he makes his way toward me, and he puts his arm on my hand, or his hand on my arm, which was annoying to me. And uh, Mm. he said, he said, I need to, I need to tell you something. And I, so now I'm prepared for some sort of battle about obese people. And he said, I want to tell you that you are the real deal kiddo. And I was like, what? And he said, I spent my life as a firefighter. And as a result, I encountered people in in fat bodies very often. And I had a lot of judgment about that because of the, of the physical implication I saw for themselves, but also the wear and tear it put on my own body. He's like, so I had written this entire story and I had never thought about it from what it, what it was like in their story. And he said, I will never, ever, ever treat people in fat bodies the same way again. And you've given me that gift. And so that for me was like the uh, that was that I didn't care how far the reach was on that video. Didn't matter that moment for me of understanding that my own liberation created liberation for the people around me. Even the tall, thin guy, you know, not just the women in fat bodies in the audience, although it does my, my heart so much good to know that when people watch that video, they go, Oh my God, I feel so seen in that. That's so important to me. But the idea that it could reach the tall, thin guy with the bias, I mean, that, there's there's probably no better compliment for me in
0: that. Yeah, there's literally like that took me out. That's like amazing that just you by you doing that it changed this person's thinking and that's the goal of I think why we both do what we what we do is to exactly. get to get that turn to get that change in just in one person. You also talk about in uh the blog for the beautiful project which we'll talk about feeling the need to like slice your body up, like cut it up. You know, and you say this, that there's no peace without the whole person. That spoke to me a lot and someone that has, like a lot of people in larger bodies that always feel like we have to shrink down, and which you talk about in the talk as well, Mm -hmm. to shrink your body and to take up less space.
1: The thing I, the first thing I really want to say about that is that I believe women in particular have been taught to sort of compartmentalize this, this, Uh, relationship with their bodies this devastating relationship with their bodies over here in sort of this compartment then and and we're taught to believe it doesn't impact everything else but there's no way it doesn't impact everything else so if what we believe about our bodies our real physical presence in the world is that they need to be smaller at any cost by any means necessary I mean that that imagery of I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gathered my stomach up in my hands and turned to the side and thought if I could just cut that off, like everything else would be okay. And I didn't just mean everything else in my body would be okay, but we've also been fed the lie that thinness equals happiness, that thinness equals lovable because when women are saying, I want to be thin, we're not saying I want to be thin for thin's sake. We're saying we want the privilege and the the pleasure of being thin in this culture. So that tells me my body isn't the problem, but the culture is the problem. And it's a problem when the solution in a 13-year-old's head is, can I cut that part of me off? I mean, imagine... Imagine that we applied that same thinking to any other thing. But I know that I've had plenty of women tell me, I know that exact experience of looking at a part of my body and thinking, if I could just slice it off. So if we believe that about our bodies and our physical presentation in the world, there's no way that we're not applying the same principles to our dreams, to our ambition, to how we show up in every other place of our lives. And and that to me is is the real the tragedy under the tragedy. You know, it's the fact that I just heard this uh, podcast the other day that talked about one of the greatest compliments a woman could be paid in this culture is that we're selfless, like we're literally without self. And I thought about how how clearly that's reinforced by diet culture. Uh, to be a whole human person in the world is, it's our birthright. It's why we're here. And so that includes this belly that has roles that will never look the way culture tells me that it should look. Um, I cannot possibly, at this point in my life, figure out how to be true to myself and still believe that parts of me need to be cut off. That includes my belly, but it also includes the fact that I'm gay and the reality that I lost my home to foreclosure when I was 30. These are all parts of who I am as a human person in the world. And and none of it detracts from my worth as a human being. And it doesn't for you either. <laughs> that's the reality, that's the message. It's not just me that this is true for.
0: You know, and also reading that piece, I was thinking specifically of a time I went out dancing with some friends and I really, I'm not, I've never been like a big, like going out to a club kind of person. And Mm -hmm. I was uh, like just dancing and just constantly, like every time I would go, there would be people that would just constantly be like stepping on me or knocking Mm -hmm. into me or not apologizing for any of that. And I would just get so fed up. And I, my immediate thought was like, maybe they can't see me. Maybe that I'm, I'm not attractive enough. So I'm like invisible. So if they knock into me, then, then I don't matter. One of my friends I was with eventually was like, you can also push back. You're yes. also a person that can like you don't have to move to get out of this person's way. They can be in your way. They are in your way. Yes. And it was yes. just one of those things that I was like, "Huh. I'm a person." Is that crazy?
1: Yeah. 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 Oh gosh, it's not so I can't tell you how many women in this work will reach out to me and say, you know, I'm in a thinner body, so I never really thought it mattered to me, this message, or it didn't apply to me, until dot, dot, dot. Like, I was in a grocery store, and I realized how many times I apologized for literally just existing. That, that narrative, I'm a person, and that's a revelation to me, that is a dominant narrative of women. And And I think diet culture is one of the things that keeps us tamed in that space. I'm only a person if I'm selfless. I'm only a person if. I'm only a person if. Absolutely, push back. That's what this work is for me. It's the, I'm not going away. I'm not shrinking anymore. So everyone else is gonna have to just adjust to that. There's enough space for all of us. We're gonna be okay.
0: And just like to segue into another one of the posts that I read on your blog too, about you talked about going to, like a cycling class you talk about this like instructor that essentially just shouts at you to push harder and yep. you're like you don't know what the fuck I've been through exactly. like I'm pushing as much as I can push and if I don't want to go as hard as that like you want me to I'm not going to push myself to ruin my body this is my body I choose what to do with it yep. and to me that was like so powerful because I get so tired that kind of shouting to do more always makes me mad. Like when I'm in a cycling class, it just motivates me to be angry. It doesn't motivate me to push.
1: Yes. Yes. Me too. (laughs) Um, So you've done a great job sort of contextualizing that blog post, but the little bit of the backstory is I was just coming back into the gym after years of being gone because I really couldn't find myself back in the gym. I know that, there's sort of the more popular belief that fat people don't like to move their bodies, but it's absolutely untrue. I've always loved to move my body. But as I healed, I stayed out of a space that felt dangerous to me. It's been a few years. So I started to make my way back in and, you know, every corner, there's another invitation for me to be obsessed with the scale, to push harder, to not hear my own body and its cues. But still, I was craving that high that I would get from intense cardio. So I find myself back in this um, cycling class, because it is the most gentle on my joints, but also a really great physical experience for me, so long as I'm left alone in that. So I write this blog, drop it, and I get this message from the instructor. And she actually opens it with, so I referred to the instructor in this blog post as spandex, because I actually didn't, I wasn't trying to call her out Like most of my writing, it's a social commentary. I'm trying to talk about the whole experience of a lifetime kind of in a person. So she writes me and she's like, so, uh, hey, it's Spandex. And um, I need you to understand basically that we, the instructors are very caring and we're really trying to make everybody happy. And there are lots of people who do want to be pushed that way. And so she and I end up in this dialogue. By the end of the dialogue, I had invited her to be on my podcast. I said, let's have this conversation, like, out loud, let's do it for other people. Because ultimately, what she said was, I'm willing to be taught, I'm willing to know better and do better. And really, Sarah, she's a she is, she's ultimately, she's a product of the culture she's in. She's a product of the idea in fitness that our bodies can't be trusted to know what they need. Mm. And that's, that's prevalent everywhere. That's prevalent with Nutrition, we're always taught to look for an external guide about how to fuel ourselves, which is why I love intuitive eating so much. It, it tells me that my body is wise and that the, the only breakdown is in my relationship to it and my ability to hear its cues because I've been taught to look outside of me at points or calories or macros or carbs or whatever the newest trend is. I'm supposed to look there for the wisdom and really the wisdom is inside of me. And that's also true now when I get on a bike, I, I'm not interested in pushing harder than I know my body is capable of showing up. And I'm not, I'm not today. I, that is where I take my power back, right? There's a place where I end and you begin and you don't get to come any further. And I mean that everywhere from what's on my plate, um, to how I'm moving in a fitness class to how I take up space in a grocery store or in a club. Like you talked about dancing, you know, I'm, I am pushing back. I am here and I am not going
0: anywhere. Yeah. I just like, it spoke to me so much because well I started exercising really from like many as a point of weight loss and dieting and all that culture. And, and then I got to it where, you know, I think you also mentioned it in your blog as well about the sort of diet punishment cycle that, I've talked to other folks about as well that I would, you know, if I eat something quote unquote unhealthy or whatever, then I would go back to the gym and be like, I have to go to the gym. And if I don't go to the gym, I would be like punishing myself with eating more food. And then just this constant cycle that I couldn't get out of. And once I started to sort of, you know, I learned more about health at every size and intuitive eating and the body positive movement and things like that. I think, or I, get to, I guess I got to a point sort of through this whole journey that I'm can only going to do the things that I enjoy when it comes to exercise. Because I learned that I got, I, I liked how I felt like after cycling or after taking a dance class or whatever. Yes. And I felt sluggish physically if I didn't exercise for a while. So I was like, I'm just going to do what I get the most. Like I'm not going to do, I don't, I don't have fun doing push-ups. I don't have fun doing boot camp type stuff. Like that's not my type of fun so I'm like I like going to dance classes and in the dance classes that I've gone to sometimes like the exercise e-dance classes like you can tell where people are where weight loss is a motivation or you can tell when it's just like a fun thing because like I've been to classes where they're like you know we accept everybody and all types and all skills and blah 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 but then they'll say something in the class like you know this will really help you lose weight too if you practice this move and I'm just like okay so you're still encouraging that not my body is still not valid enough for you. Yes. And that
1: in that it can't be trusted to just know, like I, I the whole, I, as I get back, as I move my own, as I move myself back into some of those spaces after having been gone for so long, the fallacy of, of the belief system is so clear to me because underneath all of it is the, we have all swallowed the idea that our bodies cannot be trusted. And so we have to figure out a way to manipulate it. And that to me is the fundamental, um, that's the fundamental lie. And all of the language on top of it is it's built on that lie. So I've heard, and I hear so much, even, even that aside, even like the instructors who throw like, one or two lines around about how, how long you're going to burn calories for after, you know, after this class, I'm like, Uh. why is that even relevant? I mean, that's not why I'm here. And I, I do believe it's a deficit of knowledge on their part. They only know the fitness industry, right? So one of the things that this instructor and I spandex and I um, have talked about doing once, once the climate is different than it is right now, I want to, bring in an idea and, and talk to, it's almost like, um, like, uh, diversity training in some way to the instructors to give them different language. Like, imagine how much different it would be if at the end of a cycling class, the last thing a fitness instructor left you with was thank your body for what it did today. I mean, just that change alone, because that puts you in relationship to it, right? It says, we just did something really cool together. Um, I just think that there are subtle shifts in language that can make enormous cultural changes if people are just willing to stretch a little, just a little.
0: And also, like, I'm just here in this life at this point to live it to its fullest and whatever's going to make me happy. And it wasn't making me happy thinking I had to do these things because somebody else didn't think I could or because society doesn't think I can. My life is my own. I was giving so much of a shit about what my fitness instructors and people around me, my family were saying about me and my body and what I'm capable of. But I'm like, you're not in my body. This is, this is mine. And if Mm -hmm. I want to, if I want to do these things, I'm going to do them. You can't tell me otherwise, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just become that experience and interacting with more people and doing the show too. It's just like, I did the show. I started the show because I was doing like storytelling open mics and I was getting so nervous that I would just like have like, just like super stage fright. And just like, I couldn't finish a story. I would just like say really stupid things and just didn't make any sense. And it was just like, I, I don't think I can do this. This isn't fun. And, but I was like, but I enjoy telling stories. People always told me that I was good at telling stories. So I was like, once podcasts became more of a thing, I was like, I'm going to do it. People were like, no, one's going to want to hear about, someone else's anxiety because they want to, you know, hear something positive or they don't want to hear from somebody like you yeah. or I was hearing all of those things. So then, but I was like, you know what, fuck it. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to tell my story and people get something from it. They do. And if they don't, they don't. I'm doing this for me. The response I've gotten from doing the show has been so rewarding and how people have related to the experiences I've had, especially with binge eating and things of that nature diet culture you know, and I think when people hear this uh, this episode too, I think it's just going to be more people that relate to that experience and that ha- that it's more universal than people think. You know what I mean?
1: I completely know what you mean. I I had originally been really intentional as well. I mean, I, was, I still find myself in the same position at times trying to figure out, like, what's the right uh, recipe for the people around me? And, and I get so off track so fast if I do that. For me, all of it. Again, what's on my plate, the way I love, the way I move, the way I work, it all comes back to, if I am being true to me, then I am doing what I am here to do in the world. I have to come back to that sense of self and quit looking outside of me for, go this way or that way, or eat this or eat that, move this way. That all passes. It all changes. I mean, I'm 42, so let's just take diets alone. I have lived through low fat, high carb days where that was the answer. I've also lived through multiple nutritional um, advances around eggs, right? Eggs were literally going to kill us in the 80s. Um, So you just live long enough and you go, oh, wait a minute. This is the same cycle. I mean, keto is not different from Adkins. This is not new. I'm not like, oh, there's, there's, there is, there is no magic there. The magic is here. The magic, I already had it. I had it all along. The problem is nobody makes money from me when I realize that. So, um, and I think that that's really important to mention too, when it comes to diet culture and fat phobia, it is a multi-billion dollar a year business, the wellness industry. So let's not forget that we are being bought and sold in all of that messaging. They don't want you to know that you already have what you need. You already are what you need. They don't want you to know that.
0: Yeah, there's no money to be made and the answer coming from within. Nope, not a penny. Um, let's talk about yeah. the beautiful project.
1: Oh, great. That's actually a perfect segue. Got <laughs> it. I did it. <laughs> that was um, so good.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So we've we've mentioned a lot so far, but uh, tell the audience a little bit more specifically what it is and what's behind it. What inspired you to involve other people?
1: It is a storytelling collective inviting women back to their bodies. It has a few platforms, um, just a, well, first, just a tiny bit of backstory. I told the the story about the physician who prescribed me speed. And I came home from that experience and shared it with my wife and said, I think I'm done. Like, I think I'm just done doing that. And I've always been a writer. So I wanted to write about this. I wanted to start to write this story of healing with my body. And like any good idea i think they never come in, in their totality they always come in pieces at least for me they do like i get a little piece of an idea and then more and more it's like putting this puzzle together so the project the project really started from this place of making the decision that i wasn't going to take speed and then i thought and part of how i made that decision was i thought about my own daughter who at the time would have been 16 and while i couldn't necessarily decide to to Put down the prescription for speed for my own sake at that time because let's be honest, if somebody offers you a pill to get the thing that you've been told you're supposed to want your whole life, it's not super easy to go, Oh no, I don't want it. But I thought about her and I knew for sure what I would want her to do, and I wouldn't want her to take speed that was going to damage her body. And so I had this moment where I thought, Well, I need to live into that to demonstrate that for her, but it was more than that, I didn't just want her her to be free from the decision to take speed. I wanted her to be free from an obsession about her body. I wanted her to be free from shrinking her body or her ambition or her voice. And then it wasn't just about her either. But I realized that for me, to for her to hear me or to hear this message, it had to be about more than just me. It had to be this chorus of courage. That was the line that came to me because she's already up against, and not just my daughter, but all of us were already up against this extremely loud machine that is constantly shouting at us to be smaller. And so I wanted to draw together a chorus of courage, of other voices that could sing to her and shout to her in all of these places where I might not be able to find her. So the project is dedicated to her. And over time I let that idea of the chorus of courage guide me when it came to platforms. So you mentioned the blog. I still, I still do. I probably post once a month there still. Uh, for a period of time, I hosted some guest writers. I still want to involve more guest writers on the blog. I want as many voices in the project as are willing to, to be a part of the message, right? It's, it doesn't need to just be my voice. So there's a blog, there's the Beautiful Project podcast, I've broken that into three seasons. We're in our third season right now. In the first season, I just asked women, I, I, the, the tagline behind the podcast is ordinary women, extraordinary truth. I just think we're all walking around with this brilliance and it takes somebody just asking us to talk about it for it to come spilling out. And so I really didn't need like a celebrity interview. I really wanted the woman who works next to me. You know, I I want to know your story. So First season, I invited those women to the microphone, asked them one question. I said, when was the first time you realized your body was different from other bodies? And let them talk. And it was brave and brilliant and everything i had hoped it would be and more. Season two, I interviewed survivors. So these are women who have survived something in their bodies. It was a very intense season. It is not necessarily a season I would recommend for everybody. Um, Lots of trigger warnings in that season. but. I also knew that there had to be, if we're taking up space, that is part of our truth as women, the survival component. So, and we're doing that in and through our bodies. And so it was really important for me to make space for that story. Season three, I'm calling the mamas and the makers. And it's about women as a creative force in the world, the way that we take up space by creating, by making people and blogs and podcasts and brilliant ideas and Um, I am pausing that part of the season right now. And we're going to pivot a little bit for the next few weeks while we kind of walk through this situation um, as a country. Uh, And I just think the messaging right now needs to shift a little. So I've got the blog, the podcast. I'm getting ready to launch my first gallery. I want to invite guest photographers to just sort of, I want to guest host galleries for photographers who want to do a body project. I think part of why we feel like, you know, you told that story about being out dancing and going, well, maybe they don't see me. We also see one type of body represented in the bulk of media. Um, So representation really does matter there. And I really want to invite women as a creative force who love to take pictures and see the world through this lens. I want to invite them to tell body stories um, on the beautiful project. And then finally, we have in-person gatherings once a month where they're topical, but really I'm not teaching much. Um, I'm listening. Really, that's what we're doing there. We're holding space. We're hearing each other. We're not trying to fix anything. We'll see what those become uh, over time. That's kind of how I feel about the project as a whole. I'm still listening to what what it's here to do and how it's here to serve and not just everybody else, how it's here to serve me too. Um, but like you, I have a great amount of affection for a good story. And I think that's how we heal. I do. I think that's how we heal. We heal when we, we heal when we're heard and I want to invite women to be heard that way.
0: What do you want our audience to take away from this conversation and how can they get involved in the project itself if they want to tell their story?
1: you would need to connect to the project first. So it's all virtual. We're on Facebook and I'm sure you'll have links or something to that effect. So we're on Facebook and Instagram uh, and also the website and the podcast. What I want, what I want people to take away is an invitation to be all of you in the world. I want people to walk away from this and go, maybe I don't have to shrink and hide. Maybe taking up space might look like something um, I've not seen before, but something I want to live into. And it's not necessarily always about bodies, but I'm going to tell you, 90% of women, it's about, it starts with our bodies. And so, ideally, I would love people to um, hear what we talked about today, go out and find more about health at every size and intuitive eating. I'd love for people to choose to start. Um, exposing themselves and social media to people of all body sizes, shapes, colors. I think that's critical. Um, and then I would love for people to engage with the project. And so anyone who wants to tell their story, there are multiple places on the website for you to submit a story in, we can talk about the platform where it fits best. I want to make space for women to be heard and healed here. And so if you want to add your voice to our Chorus of Courage, uh, it's out there and it's available for you to do that.
0: And it's the they're all under the beautiful with two L's, right? The beautiful, the beautiful project. It's like on yes. the website, the right? It is.
1: Yes. And it's beautiful with two L's because it's an invitation to be full. It actually isn't about beauty at all. It's about an invitation to be full.
0: Uh, That's much deeper than I thought it was. I genuinely was like, well, maybe they couldn't get the beautiful project with uh, one L, so they had to add another L to it. So that makes much more sense.
1: (laughs) Although that is probably true, too. I actually didn't even check it out. But that was was what came to me, was I want there to be an invitation to be full.
0: So yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you reaching out and us having this conversation. I think it will definitely... Definitely be something for people to think about, or if they, you know, relate their own experiences and to think about others a little bit more. And uh, I hope you get some more people to tell their story.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it.
0: That was my conversation with Sarah Stevens. Learn more about the Beautiful Project at thebeautifulproject.com. And that's beautiful with two L's. If you haven't already, check out her TED Talk, Stripped the Art of Being Seen, on YouTube. The links to her work will be in the description box of this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You can stream all episodes at anxiousafshow.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at anxiousafshow. And you can email us at anxiousafshow at gmail.com. This episode was edited and mixed by Angelique Gaibera, with additional editing assistance from Jasmine Jones. Production assistance from Matt Laurie. Music by Garrett Rose. You can find his work at garrettrose.com. And I'm your anxious host, Sarah Carlin. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.